welcome back to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we feature the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. And I'm Dee Harris, also Pastor Harris's son. We're really excited to share the third episode of the Beast from the East series with everyone. And I'm just going to tell you, this is some fabulous stuff. In this episode, he will again dive deeper into the book of Daniel and focus on the five apocalyptic vision we have been touching on in the last two episodes. Yes, we'll hear more about the statue of many metals as well as the four beasts. Although Dad does touch on some topics we've been talking about in earlier episodes, he takes a different approach in this teaching. We're reminded of the specific nature in which the books of Daniel and Revelations are written. Many who read these books tend to get lost in the wording and syntax and lose sight of what is really being discussed. Brother, that is so true. Dad is going to walk us through the translation, or should I really say, the unencryption process of these books. Hopefully this is helping us all more easily comprehend these cryptic books. It's truly a provocative breakdown on a story that otherwise reads like a fictional or even a mythological tale. However, when Dad applies his lens of knowledge and research, it brings a considerable amount of clarity to these books and provides us all with some applicable meaning. I totally agree with you here, brother. It's a very eye-opening teaching, and I have to say that in Dad's typical form, he's pretty excited to share this knowledge with us. So with that, let's get ready to put on our biblical decoder rings and dive into the third episode of the Beast from the East series titled, Daniel's Empires. The book of Daniel consists of five sets of apocalyptic visions, all of which are relevant to this study on Iraq. Now, two of these visions are related to each other. In Daniel 2, we have the image of a man, a huge image. And in Daniel 7, we have the vision of the four beasts. Now, we've already made a brief reference to these two visions in a previous study, but let's review what we learned beginning with the image of chapter 2. If you recall, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had seen this image first in a dream. Now, this dream had troubled him to the very core of his being, but when he awoke, he found that he couldn't remember what the dream actually was. And so he went out and began to ask his wise men. They didn't know. And finally, someone told him that if he went to Daniel, who was very wise in these things, that Daniel might go, go, that Daniel might remember them. So God revealed the dream to Daniel. Now, the image, the book of Daniel says, was an amazing thing to behold. This statue was the picture of power. And as I said before, it was a huge thing. This image had a head of gold. His arms and his chest were made of silver. His belly and his loins were made of brass. And his legs were made of iron. His feet and his toes were made of iron that was mingled with clay. Remember now, this image was actually revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, the archvillain, the wicked king of Iraq. Now, this was a totally carnal human being. I'm talking about Nebuchadnezzar. You cannot be more carnal than this man was. He saw everything from a strictly human point of view. He only cared about power, wealth, and pleasure. His power, his wealth, and his pleasure. So all that he could see from his carnal perspective on life was the image made of valuable metals. Gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Now each of these four metals were materials other human beings as well as himself sought to acquire. Gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Even the clay feet was valuable. In those days, pottery, something of great worth to everybody, was made from clay. Now, another thing to notice about this image, something Nebuchadnezzar did not miss, was the fact that each of these metals grew harder and of less value as one went from the top of the image to the bottom. It started with that which was highest and went down to that which was least. And as you go, the materials, gold is not as hard as silver. Silver is not as hard as bronze. Bronze is not as hard as iron. And so they decrease in hardness as you go from the top to the bottom. Now that's one crucial element. There's also another thing we must know about this image before we can understand its full meaning. This fact is not easy to understand, so I'm going to have to go very slowly with you. 
I'm going to explain it to you as plainly as I can explain it. You see, this statue represented four empires, and each of these four empires had four distinct and separate forms of government. Now, this is going to shock you, so get ready for what I'm fixing to say. In God's sight, the highest form of government was the head, while the lowest was the feet. Now, Babylon's government, the highest, was an absolute monarchy. Does that shock you? God saw more value in that than any other form of government. It was the highest, while the government of the feet and the toes was democracy. Now, of course, we in the West tend to see democracy as the very highest form of government. The government of the people, by the people, for the people. We revere democracy. Remember what the root word of democracy is, what the two roots, as a matter of fact. It comes from the Latin, from the Latin, two words, demos, meaning people, and crossi, which means rule. People rule, democracy. But I'm glad to say that as I study God's Word, God doesn't seem to see democracy as having any worth at all. He sees democracy as an exercise in futility. Apparently, as God sees it, fallen human beings cannot adequately govern themselves or anyone else. No, God sees theocracy. God sees theocracy, absolute God rule, as the highest form of government there can possibly be. The closest thing to theocracy in the Gentile world empires was the absolute sovereignty of Nebuchadnezzar. So in the statue of Daniel 2, the governments of the Gentile empires devolve. They don't evolve. That's the trouble with evolution. As I look at the world, I do not see things evolving. I see them devolving. And you see the devolution in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. So here we have, it goes down from the absolute rule of Nebuchadnezzar on the image to the democracies of the feet and the toes. Now, the struggle faced by the democratic nations can be seen in the mixed rule of iron and clay. You see, the iron represents the rich and powerful, while the clay represents the masses. And guess what? Iron and clay do not mix, so there's constant turmoil. Now, beloved, that will not be the case in Christ's millennial reign. I'm here to tell you that the ultimate form of government, the one that will be exercised during the millennial reign of Christ, is theocracy, and it will be absolute. The Scripture says that when Christ rules, He's going to rule with a rod of iron, and we're going to all love it. You see, because then government will make sense. The reason that government doesn't make sense now is that everybody wants their piece of the action. Everybody is trying to get all they can from the government for themselves. In that government, everybody will be contributing to one thing and one thing alone, and that is the reign of God upon this planet. Now let's go back to the image then of Daniel 2. Remember now, this image of the Gentile empires is seen from the human perspective, the carnal human perspective. But God gives to Daniel, who is Daniel? Daniel is the prophet. Daniel is the spiritual man. He gives him a vision of the very same realities that he demonstrated back in chapter 2. The very same thing that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his image. But this time, the difference between the two is that the image is seen from the human perspective. Daniel 7, the vision Daniel receives, is going to be seen from the divine perspective. Now, as we have seen, the various elements that made up the image all had value to human beings. But in the vision of Daniel 7, the man of God would discover that the God of Israel saw nothing of value in the kingdoms of this world, and especially in the empires of this world. God saw these empires as being ravenous beasts, attempting to destroy and to devour the world and each other. So in this second vision in Daniel 7, the vision of the beast, Daniel was shown four beasts. He was shown a lion, a lion, a bear, a leopard, all of which were beasts that Daniel immediately recognized. But then, beloved, there was a fourth beast. Daniel looked at this beast, and he could only refer to it as being the terrible beast. It was so terrible to look at that its nomenclature could not be determined. So tonight we're going to examine each of those four beasts. But before we do, let me share some crucial information with you.
You must understand that the book of Daniel belongs to a specific literary genre, a genre known as apocalyptic literature. It is, the book of Daniel is apocalyptic. Now, don't let that word scare you. I'm throwing out some big theological words. This word shouldn't scare you. Daniel is a book that is known as an apocalypse. Now, there's another book in our Bibles that also belongs to this genre. As a matter of fact, some people call this book the apocalypse. It is our last book of our Bible. The book of Revelation is the apocalypse. It is apocalyptic imagery. Now, as you are aware, both of these books are difficult to interpret. Did you ever sit down and try to read the book of Revelation? You know what? Martin Luther threw it out of the Bible. You know why? He said, because when you read it, it sounds like you, you feel like you've eaten onions before you went to bed and dreamed a bad dream. I mean, Luther, he, there were two books he threw out of the New Testament. He threw out James because he thought it was too legalistic, and he threw out the book of Revelation. He said, nobody can understand this. I mean, this is just complete nonsense as far as he was concerned. Now, why is this? Why do people get so confused when they try to read Revelation? It's because the books of Daniel and Revelation are written in a kind of code. They are encrypted. The messages are encrypted. In other words, both of these books use certain symbols and numbers. Now, the good news is each of these symbols and numbers have stock meanings. See, I can tell you tonight what the meanings are. So when you read, you don't have to be confronted with a mystery. Are you with me? Here, here we go. Let me give you a limited list. Now, I could give you a list that would keep us here for three days, but I want to give you the most common symbols and their meanings. First, whenever you're reading Daniel or Revelation and you run across the term beast, when it talks about a beast, it is talking about a an empire. It is talking about a conglomeration of nations larger than one. It is talking about empire. Secondly, whenever you read Daniel, whenever you read Revelation, and you see the word horn, what a horn is, is a king or an emperor. One of those two things. It's a stock meaning. Every time you see it, you understand what you're seeing. Every time you see the word see, S-E-A-C. It is talking about Gentile nations, the Gentile nations of the world. We see some of these beasts coming up out of the sea. That means they are emerging not from Israel. See, there's only two kind of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles. We belong to one of those two. All of us are Gentiles. Now, if it arises from the land, it comes from Israel. If it arises from the sea, it comes out of the Gentile nations. Fourthly, there are wings. Whenever you read Daniel or Revelation, and it mentions wings, it is talking about speed. Something that happens very quickly. Whenever you read Daniel or Revelation, and you see the eyes, when it talks about eyes, it's talking about great wisdom. It's talking about enormous intelligence. I'm talking about not just common. I'm talking about genius. I'm, I'm talking about when it talks about eyes, it is talking about wisdom beyond anything that you or I can understand. The numbers also have stock meanings. The number three, whenever you see it, the number three is always the same. It stands for divinity. Whenever you see the number six, it stands for evil. Now, if you have a trinity of sixes, six, 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 you're talking about an evil that has almost godlike proportions. You're talking about as evil as evil can get. We all know the number of the beast. The number seven represents the completion of a thing on the earthly, on the earthly scene. From this earth, when something is complete, the number is seven. The number ten means all of a thing. When all of a thing is there, when everything is together, then that is complete. The number twelve is the completion of a thing on the heavenly scale. When it is completed in heaven, that is the number twelve. Twelve of a thing is when it is complete on the heavenly scale. Now, understand these basic keys. 
And it will help you to make sense out of Daniel and Revelation. You can sit down and begin to read and say, oh, that's a beast, I understand. That's an empire. Oh, that's a horn, I understand, that's a king. Oh, it's a sea, that's the Gentile nations. I mean, you, you, you begin to put things together. So let's look at both the statue of Daniel 2 and the four beasts of Daniel 7 with these keys in mind. Now, the image and the beast can be lined up side by side. See, if we had enough room on the screen, I could have put the statue, and then I could have put four beasts right alongside the various parts of the statue. For example, the head of gold in Daniel 2 equates in Daniel 7 to the lion having wings like an eagle. Now, what do we know? We know about that right away, that the lion is the head of all beasts. We know that the wings stand for speed that whatever conquest happened here happened very quickly. Now, so we know who the head is. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 38. Daniel 2 and 38, if you're following me, I think it will also be on the screen if you don't. It says, uh, and wherever the children then dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air, uh, and the fowls of the heavens hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. He's talking here about the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. He said, thou art the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Now, he was the empire. This is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, you're a very strange ruler. You are a ruler of such great capacity, such great understanding, such great power, personal. You have such magnitude. You have such charisma. You are so bound up with this empire that the empire is you and you are the empire. You are the head and yet you are the beast. They are combined in you. That's the only time this is going to happen, as a matter of fact. The empire is him, and one could not exist without the other. Therefore, the winged lion is Babylon. But as Daniel watched this beast, he noticed something. It's very strange. He looks at this beast, throw it back up there on the beast. He looks at this beast, and suddenly something happens to the beast. The wings of the lion are plucked. Now, as I said, wings in apocalyptic imagery speak of the speed of conquest. But in this case, the wings are plucked. What that means is there came a time when the conquests ceased. That Babylon could no longer go forth to conquer. And that's not all. Once the wings were plucked, Daniel says, the lion was lifted up from the earth and it was made to stand on its back feet like a man. And God gave to the beast a heart of a man. Now, once again, this indicates that the Babylonian Empire could not exist without its leader. The, the, the empire had the heart of a man and stood on its hind legs like a man. It could not exist without its leader. Now, so the Babylonian Empire may have appeared to be, have been something golden and glorious to men, but was, it was only glorious and powerful as long as Nebuchadnezzar was at the helm. That golden, glorious appearance only applied to the human point of view. From God's point of view, Babylon was not glorious. He could see its true character. To Israel's God, it was not the golden head of the nations. It was a beast. It was a ravenous lion. But it was a lion whose power had come to an end when Daniel wrote his prophecy. Now, one thing that brought about all of this, the demise of Babylon, was this. Did you know Nebuchadnezzar went mad? As a matter of fact, he spent seven years grazing in the field like an ox. He completely lost his mind. And during this time, his empire was leaderless and the empire was severely weakened. You see, it was so bound up in Nebuchadnezzar that it began to disintegrate without him. And even though he recovered toward the end of his life, the damage was done. And when he died, the power of the head of gold ebbed away and Babylon was conquered in 537 B.C. Babylon was then replaced on the world scene by the empire of the Medes and the Persians, the arms and the chest of silver. Now the fact that the image had two arms indicates that this empire would combine two nations. And secular history establishes the truth of the Bible's account. You see, the Medes and Persians did indeed forge a military union and conquer Babylon. But the second empire was in many ways inferior to the first. Persia was no match 
for Babylon in any number of ways. This empire was inferior to Babylon like silver is inferior to gold. Now, if I've already suggested, in the first empire, the emperor possessed absolute authority. As a matter of fact, in Daniel 5, 9, we, uh, 19, we read this. Whom he would, he slew. There was no law outside of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the law of Babylon. But this second world empire operated under a different system. They developed a government of law. And that law was binding upon everyone, including kings and emperors. Now, this second empire appeared to be very benign from the human point of view. But from the divine point of view, this empire was anything but benign. Look at the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 5. Daniel 7 and verse 5. And behold, another beast. Say beast. A second like a bear. And it raised itself up on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between its teeth. And they, and they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Now, Beloved, notice that the bear that Daniel saw, it says it was lifted up on one side. It's lifted up on one side. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's illustrative of the fact that the Persian side of this bear was far more powerful than the Mede side. It was lifted up on the Persian side of it, not on the Mede side. Now, what about the three ribs? It has three ribs in its teeth. It is grinding away at these three bones. What does that represent? That is three kingdoms. The kingdoms of Lydia, Babylon, and Greece. You see, these nations band together in an attempt to stop the advance of the vicious bear after it had begun its rise to world dominion. But the bear couldn't be stopped. Not until the third century B.C. It continued to devour much flesh. Not only much flesh, but much land as well. But then at that time, the empire of the Medes and the Persians began its slow retreat into oblivion. The arms and the shoulders of silver eventually gave way to the belly and the loins of bronze. This too would be a vast empire. In fact, the vastest empire the world had ever known, but it would lack much of what the Persian empire had developed. Now this third empire would be, of course, the Greek empire of Alexander the Great and his generals. And through human eyes, this empire was seen as being great. But look at how God saw it. God saw it as a, le as a leopard. In Daniel 7 and 6 we read, And after this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon its back four wings. Now right away you know what this is, don't you? You've seen a beast, a leopard. The leopard has four wings. It is exceedingly fast. It has four wings of a fowl. And the beast had also four heads, four, not, not forehead, four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now, all of you know the story of Alexander the Great. His empire stretched from the Danube River in Europe to the Indus River on the Indian subcontinent. subcontinent. Larger, his empire was larger than the empire of Rome. Now, the fact that this leopard had four heads, indicates the division of Alexander's empire into four parts following his untimely death at the age of 33. You see, when he died, the empire was divided as follows. Cassander took Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus took Thrace and Bithynia. Ptolemy took Egypt. Seleucius took Syria and Palestine. Now, it's very helpful to take this prophecy of the winged leopard of Daniel 7 and combine it with the prophecy of Daniel 8. The two belong together. You have to see the two as one. So in Daniel 8, flip over one chapter, Daniel 8, chapters three, uh, verses 3 and 4. Daniel writes and said, Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns, the river, uh, a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up first. Now, what are horns? Horns are kings. The ram is going to have two stellar kings. One will be greater than the other. Isn't it simple? See, you sit here and read this by yourself, and you go, duh. But it, it all makes sense. And I saw the ram pushing westward, 
and northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. And he did according to his will and became great. Now, beloved, the ram is an identifiable symbol. The ram, now understand, the ram has always been the symbol of Persia. Persia's kings wore ram's heads made of gold, and their coins were stamped with the image of a ram. Without question, this ram is Persia. Now, Daniel 8.20 says as much. It tells us here, the ram which thou sawest having two horns. These are the kings of Media and Persia. I mean, right there, that ram is identified for us. We're told exactly who it is. Now, the ram has two horns, two great kings. One horn is shorter, not as great. This is Darius, Darius, D-A-R-I-U-S, Darius the Mede. The other horn is higher and comes up last. Now, this horn is Cyrus the Great who spread the empire in three directions. You can read it in your history books. He spread his kingdom westward, northward, and southward. But as Daniel watched, he saw something strange indeed. Look at Daniel 8, 5 through 7. And as I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west over the face of the whole earth, over the face of the whole earth, and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I'd seen standing before the river, and ran into him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with anger against him, and smote the ram, and broke his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stomped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand." Now, we know what the he-goat represents. It is identified for us in Daniel 8.21. It said, and the rough goat is the king of Greece. We know who this is. This is Alexander the Great. He is coming against the Persians. He is a he-goat. There is one huge horn. And he is so fierce and he is so rough that he completely dismantles the ram. He makes the ram incapable of resisting any longer. And then another odd thing occurred. Look at verse 8. When he was the strongest, the great horn was broken. When the Grecian Empire reached its apex, apex, what happens? The horn is broken off. Alexander dies. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Now, you probably know Alexander the Great was bitten in what is now modern Afghanistan by a mosquito. He scratched it. It became infected. He got septicemia, and he died. And as he was dying, you all know the story. He wept great copious tears because... He had conquered all the world he was going to conquer. He was ready to go back to Europe and take all of Europe as well. At age 33, the horn was broken off, and four of Alexander's generals seized power. And that's exactly what we see here in the book of Daniel. Written, now get this, written 200 years before it happened, Daniel tells us four horns will come up in the place of the great horn. Daniel is writing in... 537 B.C. These are things that happened in 333. Beloved, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. Alexander's general seized power and held them for many years. But eventually, even the great power of the loins began to wane, and it gave way to the legs of iron, the Roman Empire. And just as silver is inferior to gold and bronze is inferior to silver, iron is inferior to bronze. But iron is the hardest it's the toughest. Iron is the hardest metal of all of the four. Notice that Rome's portion of the statue is divided. It has, this is important, the statue has not one leg, it has two legs. And today, we recall that the empire of Rome was almost always divided into the eastern and the western. Even in the days of Mark Antony, you might remember, he seized the eastern part of the empire, while Caesar 
Augustus grabbed the western part. And for a while they united, but then it broke apart again, and you had the eastern and the western Roman Empire. Now today, we remember this great empire with affection. We even refer to its rule over the earth as the Pax Romana. We see it as the peace of Rome, the time when Rome ruled the world, and everything was copacetic. Everyone was happy. There was no war. Uh, to that I say, poppycock and balderdash. This was no glorious empire. You see, from God's perspective, the Roman Empire was a terrible beast that devoured everything in sight. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, we read these words. It says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It, de it, it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with its feet. It was, as di it was diverse from all of the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns. And behold, now you better be listening. You better be listening, beloved. And behold, there came up among them another little horn, before which there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now, Daniel, can you see? Daniel looks at this beast, and he's fascinated by it. He's, he's locked in to the horns on top of the head of this terrible beast, and it greatly disturbed him. He even writes, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. He said, I'm looking at this thing. i got to know what this is. This is driving me crazy. He was especially drawn then to the horns. Look at Daniel 7, 24. A. First clause. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. Okay. As you know by now, these ten horns are ten kings, and these ten horns correspond to the ten toes on the image of Daniel 2. But as Daniel stared at the ten horns on the head of the beast, he saw another absolutely mind-boggling thing occur. Look at the last part of that 24th verse. And another shall arise after them. After them. Say after. See, if you've got your Bible, you better circle that word after. It says, and another. There's ten horns. Another horn shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three of the horns, or three kings. Now, do you get it? A little horn arises out of the ten horns after the ten horns are already in their places. After. It's important to understand that word after because we need to know when this little horn appears. Saints, we don't want this little horn to appear so that we recognize him. If you do, it's too late. Because this little horn is the man that we now refer to as the Antichrist, or the man of sin, or better yet, the beast from the east. Now, Paul describes him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Boy, I hope you've got your Bibles, because see, there's stuff you need to be writing in your Bibles here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Now, listen to this. Let no man deceive you by any means. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Christians, don't be fooled. For that day shall not come. When? When this little horn appears, except there come the falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or all that is worshipped, so he, as a God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is a detestable human being that arises. 
He's going to come into the house of God and declare himself to be divinity. But those two verses are not the key verses. That scares the life out of me. If I didn't know I was going up in the rapture, my teeth would chatter. But those two verses are not the key verses in this portion of the text. The key verses are verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now hindereth will continue to hinder till he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, unfortunately, these verses are virtually uninterpretable in the King James Version. What I just read to you, unless you're just clowning around, you're going, huh? Hello? Those are hard to understand. So let me read them to you. Now, put your ears on. It's going to be on the screen. Listen carefully to the NIV because you can get this. Here's what it says. For the secret... Now, underline that word secret. This guy is not going to come on like gangbusters. It's going to be a secretive thing he's doing. He's going to mess with your mind, probably through the media. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Now, here's the key phrase. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he, meaning the one holding it back, is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ will overthrow by the breath of his mouth. Who's going to overthrow him? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to, and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Now, the question that we have to answer here should be clear to you. Who is the he who is holding back the appearance? Somebody is holding back the appearance of the Antichrist. His spirit has been at work in this world since the time of Paul, but something has kept him from stepping on to the world scene. You see, I believe that Napoleon was destined to be that man. He fulfilled every portion of that. Adolf Hitler... Genghis Khan, you, you can go through those... ...to control the world. But something restrained them. Someone restrained them. Who is this he? This he, as far as I am concerned, is the church of Jesus Christ. You see, I would question this identification if this was the only verse in which Paul ever referred to the church as a he or, being a, or the church as being a man. But Paul speaks of the church as a he or a man in Colossians 1.18, Colossians 1.24, Ephesians 2.15, Ephesians 4.13, and a myriad of other places. Now, I have to be honest with you. Some very capable biblical scholars, men that I love and adore, men that I like to read, men I would enjoy talking to, believe that the he mentioned here, this He that is holding it back. They believe that that is the Holy Spirit. They believe that God's Holy Spirit is holding this back. But I answer that by saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't leave this earth. You know why? Because we read that during the tribulation period, there are going to be a monster amount of people saved. The entire nation of Israel is going to be saved. There's going to be thousands from every tongue and kindred and race and tribe. They're all going to appear before the throne of God, beloved. So that tells me the Holy Spirit cannot be gone because it is the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin. Now, Jesus says in John 14, 16, that the Holy Spirit will abide forever. So what 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8 tells me is this. The Antichrist cannot be revealed until after the true church is raptured. If you don't understand rapture, you need to get you a good study Bible or you need to read some good books on that subject. I don't have time to explain that. Now, as you all know, I've talked about and have been talking about the Antichrist as being the beast from the east. And so he is. I've also suggested that he will arise out of the situation that now exists in Iraq. Now, maybe this won't happen for five or six or seven years or longer. But believe me, it will happen. I've never hung myself out on a limb like this before. I'm telling you, I feel it. 
I know it in my knower. I've seen a lot of other things in my lifetime. But I never jumped on that bandwagon. Not in 1956, not in 1967, not in 1973. I've never jumped on anybody's bandwagon. But I know this is so. I know it in my knower. Now, he may, not, he may even be Iraq's next political leader. I don't know. Now you say, Pastor, what biblical evidence do you have of this? Well, it comes from Daniel 8. Daniel chapter 8. Let's go back to Daniel. Just, just let me show you something that will make my point. Daniel chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Once again, we read what I read before. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before which there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. And I beheld till the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool, and his throne was like the fiery flame of fire. Now, this is very interesting to me, because what it says here... Uh, This was not the verses I was looking for. I think I was looking for chapter 7. Oh, I I, I read from chapter 7. I was looking for 8 and 9. Okay. Here's what it says then. Daniel 8, um, 8 and 9. It says, Therefore the he-goat grew very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, What is this? It's the same little horn we see. Who does it come up out of? It comes up out of the four generals of Alexander. Are you getting this? What does that mean? Where was Alexander's empire? You see, all of my life I was taught that the Antichrist would come from Rome. And Roman Catholicism would be the beast that he rode in on. It cannot possibly be. Because Alexander never controlled the Italian peninsula. Never once. That that is a nonsense point of view. Why would Christians fight Christians? This this makes no sense to me at all. And so it tells me, see, I I mean, I begin to see that out of them comes forth a little horn which grew, now get this, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land, Israel. Now, Here the little horn is said to come from a place south and east of the Holy Land. South of the Holy Land is Saudi Arabia. East of the Holy Land is Jordan and Iraq. I do not believe the Antichrist will come from Jordan. Jordan is a powerless nation. It has no wealth. King Abdullah II... I'm sorry I say things like that, but I'm very opinionated. Nor is the king of Saudi the Antichrist. He doesn't have the commitment to contend for the rulership of the world. That's obvious to me. But Iraq, Iraq is a different story. After being crushed by the United States in Operation Iraqi Freedom, a new Iraqi leader with all the oil money in the world behind him could be committed enough to Islam and world conquest to be the Antichrist. Which brings us to the coup de grace. The book of Revelation, chapter 13, where we're going to spend most of our time next week. A lot of those people that raised their hands and told me they were going to be here tonight aren't here. So uh, they're going to miss it, aren't they? Revelation 13, beginning in verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. What's he looking at? He's looking at the Gentile nations, isn't he? And I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, an empire coming up out of the sea, having seven heads. It's a complete kingdom. It's got everything that an empire needs to have. And ten horns, ten kings. And upon his horn, ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. Boy, this is a bad motor scooter. And the beast which I saw, now get this, was like a leopard. Are you following me? It was like a leopard. And his feet were like the feet of a bear. And his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. Where are we? We're in Babylon, we're in Persia, and we're in Greece. But we're not in Rome.
We are not in Italy. We are not in Europe. We're in the Middle East. Remember that. Now get this. And I saw one of his heads as though it were wounded to death. That head looked like it had been wounded to death. It could never live again. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon who gave power to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. Remember that? A mouth speaking great things. Who are we talking about? We're talking about the little horn of Daniel. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Forty two months, three and one half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. Who are the saints? Israel. And to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast. Oh my gosh, this one was bad enough. Now this one's important. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Say earth. You see that word earth? It comes up out of the earth, not out of the sea. And he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them that dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven and the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast and that the, and, uh, the beast that had the wound by a sword and did live. And he hath power to give life into the image of the beast. And that image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would, as would not worship. The image of the beast should be killed. And he caused us all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and enslaved, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell except he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For the number of a man, and his number is... Six hundred, three score, and six. Now notice, the beast described in verse 4 of this text arises from the sea, as I said, from the Gentile nations. This is the same beast in a resuscitated form that we saw in Daniel 7.24. It is the feet and toes of Daniel's image. Democracy will have invaded the Muslim world. What is it now that we're talking about? What are we trying to achieve in Iraq? We're trying to bring them democracy. The Bible says it's going to happen. As we've seen, the horn that arises once the other ten horns are in place and subdues three of the horns is the Antichrist. The beast is his empire of ten nations. In fact, he is like Nebuchadnezzar. He and his empire will be so closely related that John often refers to the leader as the beast and the beast as the leader. One won't work without the other. Now look at this beast. This is an empire that looks like a leopard, has the feet of a bear, a mouth like a lion. In other words, it will combine the kingdoms of Alexander, Nebuchadnezzar, and Cyrus into one. And the common parts of those, empire, of those empires, listen to this, are what? Turkey, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Egypt, Sudan, Libya, and Yemen. The beast from the east will be a resurrected Eastern Roman Empire. The kingdoms of Islam. One of the seven heads, we are told, Iraq, I believe, as I said in the past, has been wounded to death. I believe this is the result of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I'm convinced of this. But according to Revelation 13:3, this wound will be healed at some time in the future, and the world will be astounded by its recovery. Now, Islam fits into this picture because the text also establishes that the Antichrist will be supported by a great worldwide religion. This religion is called the beast that comes from the earth. I find this very interesting. 
This is a great world religion, but it doesn't come from heaven. It's a beast that comes from the earth. Humanly created. This beast is the satanic religion of Islam. And beloved, the war between Islam and Christianity is already heating up around the globe. If you don't know that, you're not reading the same stuff I am. For years, we've been looking in the wrong direction for the beast. We believed he was coming from Europe, a revived European Roman Empire. I don't think so. Oh, there's some scriptures. You'll have to be here next week. But uh, I'm telling you now, things are starting to add up to me. For years, I've had some answers. Now I feel that the missing parts... It's kind of like doing eschatology or study of end things. It's kind of like working a jigsaw puzzle with two pieces of the puzzle missing. Nothing irritates me more than that. <laughs> and for most of my life, I've not been able to fit what I knew in my gut. I haven't been able to make it fit. But now I don't have to even make it fit. It just slides right into place. It's like I found the two pieces and you just slide them over and they drop right in. I'll see you next Wednesday night. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Ariel Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Ariel Ministries in Thuraka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Ariel Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit arielministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Thuraka mission, you can visit arielministries.com slash missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future.